We're starting a new uh, teaching, preaching series called um, For the Praise of His Glory. And I'm really excited about it. The Apostle Paul was a strong motif in the Apostle Paul's theology, living for the praise of his glory, doing things for the praise of his glory. We're going to unpack the nuances of that over the next uh, six, six to eight weeks this summer. And the uh, keynote address is Brenda Mickelson sharing. Uh, and so let's give Brenda a warm welcome as she comes in and shares from the Word today. Brenda. Okay, I'm going to talk about three people today. Lord Jesus, get all the glory, Lord. Thank you, God, all the glory. I'm going to talk about three different people. Maybe you will relate to them. I hope so. Get something out of this for yourself. It's for each one of us. First one I'm going to talk about is Peter, the Apostle Peter. He was a real person just like you or I, you and I are. He could walk right in here, sit down, we'd go, Yo, Peter, you know, what up, dude? And he, he'd be a real person, but he's in heaven now. Um, so my first point is God can use little old me. And this is each one of us. God can use me. So Peter um, started out as a fisherman in the Sea of Galilee. That's, you know, a good job, good occupation. But it wasn't, oh, <laughs> that's from a painting. You know, we don't know what Peter looked like. But they're running, Peter and John are running to the tomb. Is his body gone? Is he, where's Jesus? You know, so that's, that's Peter and then John's in the white. <laughs> we don't know what he looked like. But he was a real guy. But um, I want to read this quote from Beth Moore. I can no longer, I can go no further without musing on, over Christ's divinely uncanny ability to waltz into a life and turn it upside down, inside out, and every way but loose. So we know that God does that with our lives, upside down, inside out, but he doesn't turn us loose. Hallelujah. So Jesus came up to Peter and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, sons of Zebedee, and what did he say? He said, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Mark 1, 17. Come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And he said that to every single one of us. Come, follow me, and I will make you whatever it is he's making you. We're all unique. Each one of us, he's transforming us from this thing to this thing. So Peter starts out as kind of like this lowly fisherman, but boy, does he get transformed. So when he spends those three years with Jesus, these are some of the things, we all know this, these are some of the things that he sees hanging out with Jesus. Jesus would cleanse leprosy. Leprosy is like you're marred, you're kind of falling apart. It was very feared, it was very feared. You had to stay away and say unclean. He would cleanse leprosy and heal them. He gave sight and he gave hearing. He gave hearing, he gave sight. Uh, the paralyzed person couldn't move. Got up and walked, carried their mat. He healed the lame. He silenced and cast out demons. And they would say, in your name, the demons are subject to us. And the people would be amazed. Wow, he even has power over demons. Because they were these out of control, foul spirits and Probably no one knew what to do with them, but Jesus could silence them and cast them out. 
He raised the dead at least three times. Wow, he raised the dead. I just got shivers. Okay, he uh, healed every sickness. You know, his fame grew, and they'd, oh, Jesus of Nazareth is coming to town. They'd get their relatives. Get Grandma. Get Uncle Fred. Get, get him to Jesus. They'd have this whole crowd. He'd heal every sickness. Pretty amazing. This is what Peter got to see. He multiplied the food really hugely, multiplied the food like thousands were fed. He stilled the storm. Remember that? They were just in awe, like, who is this guy? He spoke to the wind and the waves, and it calmed down. Amazing, God. He walked on the water. He appeared to them. They were afraid. (gasps) It's a ghost. It was Jesus. And he told Peter to, you know, Peter's, well, if it's it's really you, make me, have me walk out there. So he goes, okay, come on. And so then Peter takes a few steps and gets afraid and starts to sink. We're talking about Peter. He's just a regular guy. Uh, he was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration, bright like the sun, glorious. He's a glorious being. He uh, showed kindness to sinners, like the lady at the well. She was just a Samaritan lady at the well who'd had five husbands. I mean, but he went and found her, didn't he? Talked to her. He talked to Zacchaeus. This little short guy couldn't couldn't see Jesus, went up in the tree, and he was a tax collector. No one liked him. He was a sinner, and he, he was kind to him. He was kind to Matthew. Matthew, come and follow me. He was a tax collector, but he followed Jesus and became one of the disciples. He won every argument and every challenge. They could never out-argue him, and I don't think he just wanted to argue. It's that they try to test him. Well, teacher, blah, 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 and he just... You know, every time he'd just turn it around. He could, he'd humiliate them. Uh, they deserved it. I don't know that he wanted to humiliate them, but they were wrong. And so they'd, they'd test him, and he won every argument. But, you know, it really unraveled quickly. He tried to tell them, I'm going to be, you know, arrested, going to be mocked and hurt and killed, and then I'm going to rise again on the third day. Well, that's unprecedented. What does that mean? Like, people die, they don't. They don't come back. They just didn't get it. And so here he was. They, they got him. They, they all fled. It, it was a bad moment. They tortured him. They whipped him mercilessly, and they killed him on the cross, and he was dead. So if you can uh, think of that, if I was that person, and I'm Peter, and all this, all this greatness, all this, he always was the coolest one. He was God. He was the Messiah. And he's dead. And I think, I think the disciples were really lost and confused and afraid. But then, you know, within three days, he's back. And he's appearing to them. So from, I need that clip. Okay. From Passover, when Jesus was crucified, until Pentecost, There's 50 days, 50 days until Pentecost when the wind came and the tongues of fire and this mighty, mighty beginning of the church. During that time, they saw him. He appeared to them within 40 days. The last 10 days, he had had ascended. But one of the times, Peter's fishing. It's like, well, might as well go fishing. Let's go catch some fish. I mean, when he was walking around with Jesus those three years, there was no fishing. And later, 
when he's, you know, the church has begun and he's there as head leader. There's no fishing. It's like, well, well, Jesus is gone. Well, let's go fishing. And, of course, Jesus appeared to him. He walked with him. Do you love me, Peter? Feed, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. So I feel like when I read, I love to read the Gospels. And, you know, you get this feeling like he's wonderful. He's doing everything right. And then ee, the last couple chapters, like, here it comes. Oh, they got him. They crucified him. And then he's resurrected. And you go through each of the Gospels. I, I always feel this way, like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. The cross, the cross. Ooh. And, you know, um, I can just feel like their confusion and their loss. But then, you know, if you keep reading and you get into the book of Acts, which is next, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And the second chapter of Acts, when Pentecost, that day of Pentecost, when the mighty wind came, the, the tongues of fire, everyone speaking in tongues, this whole crowd coming around, big crowd came around because at least 3,000 got saved that day. Big crowd came around, some of them laughing, mocking him. Well, they're just drunk. Peter is like a different person. That always strikes me like he just seems entirely different. I believe within those 40 days and those 50 days, he had a major transformation. That Jesus came to him and said, yes, this is what we had. This is what we did. This is the new thing. This new thing is coming. It's going to be good. Don't worry if I'm gone. I'm not really gone. God is sending the Holy Spirit. It's going to be good. And so then, in Acts 2.14, let's see, I'll read it. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Another translation says, listen carefully to what I say. And then he explains to them, this is from the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. He explains to them, this Jesus who you and wicked men crucified, God made, he was Lord and Messiah. And he's just got the answer with authority. And it says he's talked to them many more words. He gives a brilliant little sermon to all these people that are watching this crazy moment. He explains it to them. It says he pleads with him. And then in, in Acts 2, 37 and 38, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, which means he really got through to them with anointing and authority. <clears throat> And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I just love this. And then 3,000 get saved and it's the beginning of Christendom. It's the beginning of the church life. It's the beginning of the new covenant people. It's a brand new thing. In a a sense, it's a brand new thing. And Peter is there. He stays with them. He's in Jerusalem. And um, signs and wonders are done. People are amazed at the signs and wonders 
done through Peter and the other apostles. And, of course, persecution comes, and they, they go out and preach a lot more places. Peter does also. But I just want to say in this first point, God can use little old me. Peter was a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. He had nets and fish and boats, and that was it. And Jesus came along and said, come and follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. He's saying that to every single one of us. Come and follow me. I'm going to make you stuff, do stuff, be stuff. And it's all great, and he can use each one of us to do amazing things. Peter had no idea when he followed him what would become of it. But he, Jesus did tell him, on this rock I will build my church. I, Simon, I call you Peter, rock. On this rock I will build my church. Pretty cool. You know, in uh, Rome they have the great big St. Peter's Basilica. You ever, you've been there, Sherry. <laughs> One of the most beautiful churches on the earth. And it's just, you know, this little fisherman. Here in Rome they built this whole big St. Peter's Basilica. But that's beside the point. The point is... He did great things in God, and when we follow the Lord, every one of us does great things in God. All right, the second one. This is about Beth Moore, and I hope you can relate to this also. God gave her two things. This is, this is my, my point. God will give you the thing you need for your next step of growth, even if you don't know you need it. I really believe that. Sometimes some, some book will come into your hand or you'll hear something like, oh, oh, that's the piece of the puzzle I was needing. Whoa. So Beth Moore was ra- born in Arkansas, a family of five kids. There was abuse in her home. Um, oh, and she cute? Cute little girl. Um, then they moved to Houston. They used to laugh at her with, her with her Arkansas accent. She said she was in high school and... She never said anything because she was new. And finally she says, I don't know what overcame me, but I raised my hand and I gave an answer and the whole class burst into laughter because <laughs> of her thick Arkansas accent. And every time from then, then on, whenever she'd raise her hand, they'd all go, call on her, call on her. <laughs> Too funny. But she loved Houston and that's where she lived. Um, from, as a young girl, she felt a call from God. She felt his presence come into the room, and she felt and knew, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to serve God. And she even told her fiancé, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to work for God. He's, okay, okay. You know, he loved her, wanted to marry her, so okay. But so what she first did was teach an aerobics class. It was kind of a craze in America. Remember Richard Simmons and Feel the Burn and one and two and one. Anyway, she they said, you, you were in cheer when you were in high school. You should... Teach us, teach aerobics here for our church, their big Southern Baptist church. So she kind of studied and figured out, and she, she started a class, played Christian music, and she said for seven years we did uh, Making Fitness Count for Christ. She said it was a lot of fun. We laughed a lot. But she spoke once at a tea. She spoke about that, Making Fitness Count for Christ. And she, she actually put on some music in the end and had them do some little, you know, things, even in their pretty little church clothes. And this lady in their church, who's one of the main kind of speaker ladies, kind of godly lady, came to her and said, you know, you should be doing that. You, you have a gift. You, you are a teacher. You are a speaker. You are gifted. And when you read her books, any of her books, she's really 
a creative communicator. I, I just, I love reading her books. Um, but this lady, let me just tell you, there's a Christian culture in the South, probably mostly in Texas. It's like Southern Baptist Texas church ladies. So this lady who was the main lady speaker, her main subject all the time was on manners and poise. So like, which plate does your, does your dinner roll go on? How do you tell the salad fork from the dessert fork? What, how should you dress for your different body type? How, if you're the host of a dinner, how do you correctly introduce everybody? Like, whoa, that's really kind of like thin, you know, it's not very deep. And there was kind of this world of these, and I have a sister-in-law who, who moved to Texas. She said, oh, it's real. You can, you can pick them out. They dress the same. They talk the same. They'll be nice to you, but if you're not one of them, you're not in. <laughs> anyway, it's a southern lady Texas Christian culture. And so um, anyway, there was a new class that was announced. It's called Bible Doctrine by Buddy Walters. And Buddy Walters was a former college football player she said he was this muscly guy but he and she said I brought my notebook and my pen and my yellow you know highlighter I was going to take notes and she said he got up there and started teaching from Genesis he just taught and plumbed the word for its richness and showed Christ in the word and showed you know cross-referencing and just depth from the word of God and she said, I didn't take one note. I just listened. And this is what she said. The second he closed in prayer, I stood up from my chair, grabbed my purse, and walked straight out the door without a word. Instead of staying for the service, I walked quickly down the stairs and through the hall and out the door to the massive parking lot as fast as I could. I ran to my car, threw my purse in the passenger seat, got in, shut the door, and burst into tears. I don't know what that was, I cried to God, leaning forward toward the windshield in case he couldn't see me through the roof, but I want it. And that was the beginning of the Beth Moore that we know, because we wouldn't know Beth Moore down in Houston. But she would go to his class. She said I was a pest. I would raise my hand and ask questions all the time. He would give her assignments, and she'd come up with them, and he'd say, you can't possibly have that done, and she Oh, yeah, I have it done because she just loved learning how to study the word, not poise and manners. And oh, also, also, she had she was asked to teach a Sunday school class before this. She taught the ladies, the young mothers for a year. She said, I dreaded it, but I did it. And she said, I wasn't even good at it. I gave them a pet pep talk every week. That was it. Little pep talk because the culture there was. I don't know. Something, something was missing. But this wasn't missing. So she, he would teach her how to use concordances and reference books and study the word and probably learn how to find out the Greek meaning and, you know, Hebrew meaning. And she became the Beth Moore that we know if you read any of her books or listen to any of her tapes or if you've ever gone to a conference. And she taught the Bible for 23 years. And one of the things she wrote, some of you may know about it, she wrote a series, Sunday school series on the tabernacle and all of the um, symbolism. And she taught that, and then she began to speak in other places because they'd say, well, let's get Beth Moore. She's a good teacher. 
and um, she became kind of known around there. And you know how you, if sometimes you write a book and you'd like to see if you can get published and you send it all out and so forth? People came to her and said, we want to publish your series on um, the tabernacle and have that be a book. So that happened, and she began to get well-known. Eventually, um, <clears throat> people came to her, and she wrote many more other books. People came to her and said, we want to do events. We want you to be the person. Where it'll be Friday night and Saturday morning and Saturday afternoon. Then we'll fly you home so you can go to church on Sunday. She said yes to it, and she began speaking a lot of different places, and sanctuaries began to be too small. They started filling up arenas, and she just became Beth Moore, this person who would speak at great big um, events. All the while, being a very regular person, she said one time she was up high, and she could see all the people, tons and tons of people coming, and she said, I just, you know, coming to the arena somehow from wherever she was. But she said, I just fell to my knees. Oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, help me, God, help me, God. I mean, it was even to her being pretty gifted, it was still overwhelming. So the, the second thing he gave to her, so he gave her that gift of showing her how to study the word and not just be this little Texas flower Christian lady, to study the word and be a serious person of God. The second thing he gave to her, and I think many of us can relate to this also, she was asked by her pastor to listen to a young lady um, who had had abuse in her childhood. She was a young missionary wife, and she was itinerating, you know, here, here, itinerating here in America for a while. And she didn't want to. She didn't want to meet with her. But he said, oh, yeah, I think you're the one. I think you should do it. So she did it. They met in this kitchen, and the pastor and the wife left. It was their house. And the lady began to talk about the trauma from her childhood. And she said, as she began to talk, my ears started ringing. I got sweat on my upper lip. I kept thinking, oh, it's too hot in here. No, it's too cold. Oh, I'm hot. No, I'm chilled. She said, I felt like the table got longer and longer. I could see her mouth speaking. I couldn't hardly hear her. She just had a major uh, something, crisis of, it's like the Pandora's box opened of her abuse. And in this culture, I think it was so shameful, just no, 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 we're not going to look at that. We're never going to talk about that again. But those things live their, a life of their own within you. And so, you know, we have to get them out is what I want to say. And so she said, I got out of there. I don't even know what I said. I don't know if I was nice. Usually I pray for people, but I just was freaking out. So she said for the next months and years, dealing with the flashbacks that she had successfully before that been pushing down, she, she said, I felt like I was going to lose my mind. I would often say to myself, just keep it together, just keep it together. And she'd go about her day, but she said night would come and I'd just see all these old things from my childhood. And I don't think also that church had a culture of healing. We should be able to say, get it out. Talk to somebody. Get prayer. Pay for counseling. Pay for good counseling, Christian counseling. But get it out. And what I want to say is, you know, if there's been that stuff, and this is a fallen world. If you're one of those where there was abuse, you're not unique. So much can happen. Uh, 
figure out, you know, what was done by who? What did they do? What, what did it make me feel like? What were the lies I believed? They can be like, you're dirty, you're, you're a loser, no one will ever love you. You're weird, you're different, you're, you deserved it. Just any terrible lie. And, and learn to get help to forgive, get help to forgive, and get the love of God in your heart to get free. She had to get free. So from that, she also wrote a book called Breaking Free. I haven't read it yet. I'm going to um, get it. So I just say that as a resource to anyone that understands this and would like to get better. Beth Moore has a book, Breaking Free. It's probably, probably very good. So those are the two things that God gave to her, this Buddy Walters teaching her how to study the word. And from that, oh, my goodness, she has blessed so many people. And the other one was getting out of denial and getting real, just getting real about life and about herself, and then getting free. All right, the third one <clears throat> is we're going to talk about Nikki Cruz. Here it is, number three. Uh, God can find you, save you, and transform you, even though you have been deeply wounded or sinned a lot. You want to put him back up there? Is that possible? He's speaking. He's weeping there. He has a tender heart at this point in his life. And you guys kind of remember the cross and the switchblade? It was a movie. Pat Boone play, played the part of David, David Wilkerson. Well, Nikki Cruz was born in um, Puerto Rico. His father and his mother were Satanists. His father was a powerful Satanist. When he was born, he was dedicated to Satan and blood was sprinkled on his head. So his father's mantle, he said, was my bane in my childhood. They were terrible parents. He had a brother and a sister. He had an older brother and a younger brother. I don't know if they were sisters. But they were mean. He said, my father lived to just intimidate and control people and frighten them. And um, he, he, there were manifestations, demonic manifestations from his powerful Satanist life. And his mother, he said she was a witch. And she was terrible. She was awful. She would uh, hit him when he was like four. He remembers being passed out on the floor and waking up in blood. Four. She, she would hit his head against the wall and he would bleed. She would tell him, she'd call him a little freak um, and other things that I can't say in this group. Um, so they were just meeting. His dad one time locked him in a coop with some birds and they were all troubled that he was in there so they were flying around scratching him and it just broke his heart why would my dad treat me like this I think he had to stay out there the whole night so pretty bad and at eight years old he, his mother said I don't love you you're not my son I don't want anything to do with you and he said something in him just died he said I died inside because I would look at her in her eyes and try to find love and I never found any she was just cold and he said I just got cold and hardened died inside, and he hated her because she didn't love him. So he's, he's got hate in there. So he moved to Brooklyn at 15. Many young men would move to New York, move to America to try to see something better than Puerto Rico. And he instantly got into the, uh, the, the street life. He started a <coughs> gang called the Mau Mau's. 
And he chose that name because during that time there was a Mau Mau uh, insurrection in Kenya, and they were known to be violent and scary. He said, we, I, we picked a name that would put fear in people's hearts, and they were the Puerto Rican gang, and they would fight. They would rumble. It's called rumbling. They did drugs. They did anything terrible is what they did. And the police would say, you know, this is the worst, the worst group is the Mau Mau's because there was all kinds of gangs, the bishops and the sons of Egypt and all these different gangs. And, and one of the people that was his friend said, uh, his name was Israel, said, you had to be in a gang. You, if you went down the street into someone else's neighborhood, they would just beat you up unless you had people that would defend your, you. So it was, it was a crazy, terrible world. Well, David Wilkerson saw in the paper, you know, these gang kids had been arrested, and he, he got in his head from the Lord, go and tell him God loves him. So his church was praying for him in Pennsylvania. He went to Brooklyn and went and found, found Nicky Cruz, got led to Nicky Cruz, and Nicky Cruz just hated him. He reminded him of his dad, something about religion. He just hated it, and... My, David Wilkerson would, um, one of the things he said is, Jesus loves you, Nikki, Jesus loves you, and he will never stop loving you. And when he told him that, he slapped him. Nikki Cruz slapped David N Wilkerson in the face. In the story, it says that at least one time he shoved his head against the wall and it bled, just like what happened to him when he was little. And he said to him, Nikki, I am not afraid of you. And Nikki Cruz said to David Wilkerson, I am going to kill you. And he said, you can kill me. You can cut me up into a thousand pieces and spread them all over. And every one of them would say to you, Jesus loves you, Nikki. And he said later in his testimony, he took my defense away. I didn't know how to fight that. I didn't know how to fight love. And, of course, he was a grown-up who was that little kid in there that wanted love was still there. Well, eventually he had a rally and, you know, the police had told him, don't go talk to those guys. They will kill you. And he said, I've got God with me. And they said, well, you better because we're going to come and get you in a body bag. But he had this rally, and, and, it was, and the police said, okay, we're not, we're not going to have a police presence because that just stirs them up. And so he was there at this rally with no police presence. And the two these two gangs come. They had planned to fight to rumble at the rally. So one side was, you know, the gangs and people in the middle, and they were, like, shouting, and they had all their weapons with them. It was just crazy. Some young girl, sweet young girl, came out and sang a song, and they heckled her and said dumb things, and she ran off crying. And it was terrible, and there was no police. <sighs> so David Wilkerson preached to him and said, God, Jesus was a man. He wasn't about smoking and fighting and all the stuff you're doing. And he died, he suffered and died and bled on the cross for you because he loved you. And lo and behold, Nicky Cruz got saved, gloriously saved. He is, it's like he woke up. You know, and he couldn't talk very well. He, he had this guttural, tight way of talking. And he said it was a demon. It's like almost choked by hate. He said he's just full of hate. And he, he, he contemplated suicide, and he knew he was probably going to die young because of his violent lifestyle. He was in jail for some part of time, and he had a counselor that worked with him and worked with him and tried and tried and tried, and after months just said, Nikki, 
you are just dead inside. You are so cold and hard. I have tried every way. If you get arrested one more time, you're going to go to the electric chair and you're going to go to hell. He told him that. And he just said, and he was just hard as a rock. But he got saved. His, he, because he was a leader in the Mau Mau's, um, so many of them got saved, and the other ones from the other group got saved. And what began during this time, uh, David Wilkerson started Teen Challenge in New York, in Brooklyn. Nikki, I, he somehow got healed in his heart, you know, all his stuff. I don't know the whole process. But he was full of love, full of joy, got married. He said, my happiest years were living in the Teen Challenge Center and... Um, praying for junkies and addicts all day long in my little office. One of, the, one of the notable ones he saw saved was Sonny Argonzoni. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he, he was in, in and out of prison. He, was, he took drugs for years and years and years, and he told Nikki, nothing ever helps. And Nikki told him, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to stay with you, and you're going to get over these drugs. And so Sonny Argonzoni fell asleep because he already had drugs in his system, he woke up the next day, no withdrawals, no fighting and sweating and rolling around and yelling for two or three days. It was a miracle. He said that helped <coughs> establish us there in Brooklyn because everyone heard about Sonny having this miracle of no withdrawals. And he later became a mighty man of God, started Victory Outreach International, Sonny Argonzoni. It's in 33 different countries. So I just want to say like, say, Nikki or uh, Sonny Argonzoni. Um, they, f to the world, it looked like you're a, a loser, you're hopeless, you're a junkie, you're an addict, you just cause trouble, you're full of hate, you're cruel, you're dangerous. And yet God went and found them, went and found them and saved them. And they, and Nikki Cruz has written books, Cross the Switchblade was David Wilkerson. Nikki wrote Run, Nikki, Run, Run, Baby, Run, and several other books and preached all over the world. So what I want to pray is right now, Father, these are just three examples. Every one of us has our story that you came to us and said, come and follow me, and you are transforming us, and you can transform the hardest heart, the most wounded person. Lord, you can give us the thing we need, the next piece in the puzzle, and you can use each one of us to do great things in the spirit. Each time we pray for someone, each time we listen and love someone and help them, there's a greatness in it, Lord. So may we be encouraged today that you are transforming us and letting us do wonderful things in the kingdom. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up. In light of Brenda's talk, I want to remind you that when Jesus said about the good shepherd that he'd leave the sheep in the fold and go out and find the one that was lost, that's a present tense reality, that he's always searching, always finding you every day. And when he finds you, he carries you, holds you close. He's your good shepherd. You know, Psalm 23 is written in the present tense, not the past tense. Not the future tense. Present tense. He's always your good shepherd. Always leading you to still waters. Always 
leading you to green pastures, always restoring your soul and preparing a great banquet right in the presence of your emotional and spiritual enemies. There's always victory. And your best years are ahead. No matter how old you are, remember Moses start, just started when he was 80. Your best years are ahead. And Jesus is leading you into amazing, amazing things. No less than the three people Brenda talked about. It's Jesus through you. And Jesus through you is just the same Jesus that worked with Peter for three years. Jesus is doing the ministry, but he's doing it through you. And it's just as impactful. It's a manifestation of his presence. It's just as potent as when he walked on this earth. Live with that vision in mind and you're living in reality. Okay? Live with that vision in mind. You're living in reality. There's creative stuff for you to do in the future. No less than the three people that Brenda just talked about. So put your hand on your heart. And I just echo that prayer. I bless who you are in Jesus Christ and the amazing adventures ahead. The amazing adventures ahead. So um, get after it, okay? Don't let anything stop you. There's nothing that can stop Jesus in you. Can you say that? There's nothing that can stop Jesus in me. There's nothing that can stop you. We have a, a pastoral care team to pray for you at the front. Invite you to come up and get prayer if you'd like prayer for anything. There are people here tonight, uh, here today that don't know Jesus yet. I feel like there's two or three of you that don't, don't know. Your spirit's dead and you, your spirit needs to get born again. Come up to the front. We will help you, your spirit, to get born again so you can get started on this great adventure with Jesus that Brenda talked about for the praise of his glory, okay? Let this day be your day. Don't delay any longer. Don't procrastinate one more second. Come up and get born again, born from above. Get the healing prayer you need. Get, get, the, get the miracle you need today. Thanks for being with us today. Remember, you matter to Jesus. You matter to Jesus so much, and you matter to us. God bless you. Thanks for coming.